0: Our Bible reading this morning is from 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Let us listen to the word of God. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for God, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us. And God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is loved, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. But we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot Love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God.
1: Heavenly Father, we are sung of your amazing love, and so we should. For you are the God who is love, and you are the God who has poured out such great love on undeserving sinners like we are that you have transformed us and and remade us into the lovers that you created for us to be, and that already we are able to express and receive that in this church community, even though in an imperfect way. And we pray so much that your word would speak to us, that your spirit would implant it deep within us, that it may truly uh, issue out a a life of love as befitting your children, the children of the living God, the loving God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, as we all know, uh, toddlers, they grow up and they get to a certain age where they start speaking. And then they discover this word, why. (laughs) Right? Discover the word why. And once they begin asking the question why, then they can't stop asking the question why. Right? So, you know, they're four years old and then they go to kindy and they come home and they might say, Dad, uh, why do I have to go to kindy? Or more likely, why kindy, Dad? Right? And then you might say, Uh, because all kids go to kindy, and they say, why? (laughs) And then you say, uh, so that they can get an education. Why? (laughs) So that you won't be dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Ignorant. Why? So, uh, you know, and he goes on, right? Because, okay, not because they really want to know, they just love asking the question, why? But really, when you think about it, they ask why. Because they want to get to the root cause, the root reasons, the foundational reasons for why they do stuff. They want to know why they do the things that they do. Especially when you're a kid growing up, you don't know anything. And why is one of the most important questions you can learn to ask. For you will be ignorant. And you will just be following people's rules and instructions if you don't ask the question why. So it's an admirable question, but an annoying one as well. But in in terms of the important questions of life, getting answers to our why, when it comes to the most important things in life, especially the things that are difficult to do, is really, really important, isn't it? You know it's something that you, you should do, and you find it so hard to do, it's really important then that you know why. To be able to be motivated to do the thing that's hard, but that is necessary. If you don't know why, you won't press on. Now, love one another. Love one another. It's the second instruction that most kids in Sunday school learn, or that we learn as we become Christians. Commandment number one is, trust in Jesus, God's Son, our Savior. That's the first instruction. And the second one happens to always be, love one another, isn't it? Now, if we turn back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, it's exactly that. John says that right before. What is God's will? What is God's instruction? Is that we believe in... In Jesus, God's Son, and that we love one another. Right? The kind of the summary of for John's letter really is to believe in Jesus as God's Son, the Christ, and to love one another. Now why is loving one another such a big deal? Why why is it such a big deal for Christians to love one another? Now, we touched upon this already a few times in 1 John, right? Flip back to well, uh, chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, and just to summarize verse 9 to 11, the reason why we love one another is because it shows that we live in the light, right? That we're not living in the darkness and the lies, but we're living in the light because God is light. So that's number one, right? Chapter 3, verse 14, right? a passage we looked at last week, Love one another. Uh, loving one another shows that we have passed from death to life, that we were once spiritually dead, but now we've made alive in Christ, and how do we know we are alive? Because we love one another. Another reason why. But in this passage, chapter 4, verse 7 to 21, it is the most sustained explanation for why Christians, why we, ought to love. And these reasons are as profound as they come. Right? They're the most profound reasons, as we'll see. And why? Why must Christians love? I found, I found a little phrase that can summarize for us, that you can memorize. Right? It's very easy. Why love? Because God is love, because God loves, and this God lives in us. Okay? Because God is, God does, and God is in us. So let me expand those three reasons, Right, right? Three reasons. Reasons to love, number one, because God is love. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, Does not know God because God is love. Now John begins with the the big guns right here. Right? He's bringing out the big the 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 the, the best stuff right from the start. Why should we love one another? Because love is from God, the God who is love. Can you see the two statements about God there, right? Love is from God. The next verse. Who is God? He is love. Now, this is getting right back to first principles, isn't it? The very foundation and beginning of things. We are told that the eternal God, this God, is defined by love, as well as he's he's the source of love. So he's defined by love, and he's the source of love. Now, let's think through these things together, right? God is love in very essence and in very nature. The eternal God is by very nature love. Now, how can that be? It can only be if God isn't singular, but in relationship. For you cannot love, and you cannot be loved, unless there is more than one. Correct? Now, we see this very clearly in John's Gospel. So, John wrote this letter, (coughs) uh, probably after he wrote his Gospel. And in his Gospel, he explains quite a bit about the relationship between Jesus, who is the Son of God, and the Father who sent Him. I want to read out one snippet for us to see. About this relationship, right? One of many snippets in John's Gospel. Come up on the screen, John 17. This is a prayer that Jesus prays for his believers and all future believers that is truly amazing. Thank you. It's a bit chopped off at the top there, I'm not sure why. That's all right, I'll read it and you can follow along, right? John 17. This is a prayer that Jesus prays for all future believers that we might share in something truly amazing between the Father and Son. Have a listen to what Jesus says about the Father and Son. So Jesus is speaking, he's praying to his Father. I do not ask for these, these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, right? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because, and this is the key here, right? You have loved me. Before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made them I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, and the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now we could spend 40 minutes preaching on this passage, which I won't, but you really get the sense, right of this eternal intimacy. The love before the foundation of time of this world that god shared for eternity past there was god father son and spirit in an eternal bond of love an eternal relationship and fellowship of giving and receiving of of perfect unity god is love father son holy spirit love Now you can think about the human inventions of God, right? And and humans throughout all of human history have always sought after God and have tried to, to come out with what God might be like. And oftentimes you have this singular God, but a singularity cannot be in essence love, because there's no one to relate to. Some people come up with an idea of a force, an impersonal force. Well, there's no love there if it's just a force. And then you've got the many gods of polytheistic religions, Right, the many God religions, but usually we see these stories of these gods in conflict. Certainly not essentially love, then, is it? They're always in conflict. But the God of the Bible, the God revealed through the Son becoming flesh, the God who sends His Spirit to dwell in us, this Trinitarian God is eternally love in essence. God is love. And so then from God flows love especially in those and to those he creates. Now, love is from God, not in the way that, say, a gift I buy for you on your birthday is from me. Right? So, coming out a little image there. So, it's not like this, right? Love is from God it isn't like me giving you a gift, that, you know, this gift is from me, nor is it like a letter I write to you and this letter is from me. It's not like that. Love is from God in the way that heat and light is from the sun. Love is from God in the way that heat and light is from the sun. It it flows out of His very essence. Heat and light flows out of His very essence. Love belongs to God's nature and it emanates out of His very essence. And so, love, the the, the very concept itself, and, and every experience and expression of true love in its many forms, the receiving and giving of love, the joy and the pleasures of love that we experience, it's all from God. It's not external to God. It's all from God. It's an outflow of His very nature. We are experiencing God all the time, whether we're believers or not, because God is love, and every expression of love in this world is from Him. And so the first answer to the question, why love, is a mind-blowing one. Right? We need some time almost to meditate on what this really looks like. Why love? Because God is love. And because out of the God who, the the eternal God who made all things, flows love. And if you and I truly are the children of God, born again with God's nature, then love becomes an essential part of our nature. Loving God and loving others will be what defines, defines our life. It will flow out, of our new nature into our lives and into others. This concept of love will impact everything that we think and do. Now obviously this doesn't mean sentimental, romantic love. When we study scriptures, we see love in its many varied forms. And if we don't understand what that is, we don't know what love is like, and we don't know how to live it out. But every part of who we are as God's children should flow out of love that he gives to us. But John doesn't stop there, does he? Not just with the concept of God's love, he goes on to speak about the demonstration of his love, right? The, the reality of God's love, clearly and wonderfully displayed, that we can see. And this is the second big reason and drive for our love, that God actually love. God does love, right? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now we we know this very, very well, don't we? God's love displayed most clearly and powerfully in his Son. It is sort of John three sixteen, right, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son to die so that we might live. This is the, the heart of the Christian gospel, because it is the heart it is the outflow of God's very nature. This is how He shows love. Now, the greatness of God's love, it, it stands in stark, stark contrast to the kind of love that we give to God, which is why John throws in this kind of weird statement in verse 10. Right, Suddenly he says, now love, you want to think about love properly? Don't think about it as being the love that we have for God. Why? Why? It's because if if you think of the love that we ought to have for one another as being proportional, related to the love that we have for God, well, what kind of love do we have for God? Well, it's puny, and it's pathetic, and it's faithless, and it's weak, and it's insufficient. The love that we have for God pales so terribly in contrast to God's love for us. And so if the reason... And, and, and the amount and the, the, the quality of love we show others is based on our love for God, then we're all doomed to failure. But if it's based on God's great love for us, well, that's something else, isn't it? And so John defines for us, right? Love isn't the little that we give someone so great. Right? Love isn't the little that we give someone so great. Love is the great that God gives us who are And deserve so little. That's what love is. That's the definition. That's the the quality and the quantity of love that we show each other. Now, and John John now explains it, right? In a picture that we're very familiar that, that love is seen in God's eternal Son given to us, born into this wretched world, who did not recognize her Creator. And not only that, we will put our Creator, God's Son, uh, we would hate Him and we would reject Him and we would nail Him to a cross and crucify Him. And God allowed all that because of love. The Son of God willingly sacrificed Himself. As John tells us, He, he put Himself forward or, or He was put forward as the propitiation for our sins. Right? That big word, propitiation, to be the sacrifice that pays for our sins and removes away the wrath, the anger of God. That's what Jesus willingly did. Now needless to be said, I'm not sure that I would give up any of my three children for any of you. As much as I love you guys, right? my love for you probably, definitely will not extend to me offering up my children for you, even if they were willing, right? especially if they were willing. And if you were someone I didn't know, well definitely not, and if you were my enemy, well needless to say, there's no chance, there's, there's not a snowflake's chance in hell Right, that I will give up any of my children, willing as they might be, for my enemies. Now, we, we, we know that. We've heard that illustration before. And those of us who are parents start to feel it even more strongly. But we do need to really reflect on the kind of mind-blowing love that God shows us. God is love, and He demonstrates His love like no other. And so we come to the second reason, to the question, why love? Why love? Because God does. God has so loved us with the greatest expression of love. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, if you a person who likes to write in your Bible, you can underline, circle, put a star on the word so, right? If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God first loved us with such a great love, we as His children ought to love one another with that kind of great love. Now the third reason we love is seen in verses 12 to 16. Please follow along as I read it again, okay? Verse 12 to 16. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now as we start this passage in verse 12, it's easy to misread verse 12. Right? You read verse 12 and you say, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love <coughs> is perfected in us. And we might think that mm, what this means is that because I love other people, then I, 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 um, I, I earn the merit of God dwelling in me. Okay? It might read that way. If we love one another, then we secure, we earn God's living in us. You could misread it, right? A wrong reading of this verse. Because clearly this isn't what it's saying if you were to just read on to the next verse. How do we know that God abides in us and us in him we know because he that is god has given us of his spirit that's how we know because he has given us of his spirit it is through the message of the gospel of god's son that we confess and believe that allows the spirit to come into us right this have a look at verse 14 again we we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world so what well whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Now, it's very important to to notice the the flow of thought in these verses, right? It begins with a historical event that has been seen, that was witnessed by the apostles, and that has been testified to down through the generations to all believers. right? It begins with a historical event of God's demonstration of love by the sending of His Son into the world. That's how it begins. And as we heard, this is the demonstration of God's love. And as we heard, one of the things that we have to do, first and foremost, is to believe, to trust, to confess Jesus as being God's Son, the Christ. Now, for those who, who, who have heard about the historical demonstration of God's love and who now receive it by receiving Jesus, then God says that now Jesus, God, Spirit, abides in us. Right? You see the flow? So the, the, the conclusion, verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, if you forget about everything I've said in the last three minutes, this is the profound summary. You've got to get your head around, right? It all begins with the gospel message, the demonstration of God's love in history. Now, this message of love is, is taken in, believed, and it results in God Himself, the God who is love, dwelling in us by His Spirit. Gospel, love, God, love in us. Can you see that, that movement? It's our three reasons all rolled into one. The God who is love demonstrates His love in history and now He, the God of love, abides in us. And So we get our third reason, why love? Because God is, and God does, and this God dwells in us. That's why we love. It's not just knowing the God who is love out there. It's not just experiencing His love out there. It is that the God who is love now dwells in here. Now, let's sink think in for a moment. If God's love isn't profound enough, if God's demonstration of love isn't great enough, How how crazy is it, right? How mind-blowing is it to have known that this God of who is love dwells in us? But when you connect these three reasons together, you join forces to form the the foundation for our love for one another, all combining to be be the all-powerful force that allows and, and drives and shapes a growing life of love that we have for one another. Now, we've been given three profound reasons to love, and they're all deeply connected. Now, two implications come out of this. The first is seen in verse 17 to 20, and it's the point that Christians who know God and His love have absolutely no reason to fear judgment. That's the first implication. The second implication is seen in verse 19 to 21, but really it is from the entire passage, and that is that Christians who are children of God and who know God ought to love others. I mean, that's a clear implication. We'll talk about that at the end. So let's start with no fear. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For love has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, how is love perfected in us? That's key, right? Because that's how you have no fear. How is love perfected in us? Well, it's not by anything that we have done, but through what we've just seen and what we've just heard by the God who is love coming into this world to demonstrate His love and coming into us to dwell in us, the God who is love. That's how the love of God is perfected in us. See, those who trusted in Jesus know and have the love of God. More than that, we have God Himself abiding in us and us in Him. Now, since this is true, Christians know exactly what will happen on Judgment Day. Not because we're arrogant, but because God tells us so, that we know exactly what is going to happen on Judgment Day. If God is in us and He is for us, then there's no way that He will judge us. No way, Jose. No way at all that He will judge us. He's in us. He's for us. John says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. And clearly John is speaking about the fear of judgment or the fear of punishment in this context. Because we fear God, for sure, in a deeply reverent and worshipful way as God, but we do not fear judgment and we do not fear punishment. Now it is right for sinners to fear judgment, and punishment. It is right for those who do not trust Jesus as God's Son, your Savior and King, to fear judgment, but it is not right for us who trust Jesus to fear judgment and punishment. It is not right for us who trust Jesus to fear judgment or punishment. Now, even as I say that, we we kind of feel uneasy about that, right? Because so often we do fear, don't we? In those moments where where we so struggle with sin, where we stumble and fall, maybe on the occasional moments where you you sin in a way that you never realized that you had it in you to do that. Or or it could be the the habitual sins that we've been struggling since we were six years old or 16 years old. And, And we doubt whether God will really forgive me because of the sinner that I am. Even though we trust Jesus, we are tormented by our failings. Is that true for some of us? And we fear maybe, maybe God isn't really for us. Maybe Jesus isn't enough. Some of us are prone to the burden of guilt that increases our fear of judgment. Others of us are prone to doubt the promises of God that allows the fear of judgment to creep in. But I urge you this morning... God's word says to you and to me, do not fear. Do not fear. If you have truly received Christ in faith, you have received God's love. He dwells in you. He dwells in us. His love is perfected in us already. It doesn't matter if you are a one-day-old Christian or an 80-year-old Christian. It doesn't matter. It doesn't depend on your uh, performance, whether good or bad. It doesn't depend on the amount of knowledge you have low or high, little or much, because if you confess Jesus, God's love is perfected in you. To keep fearing is to reject God's word. To keep fearing is to reject God's word. To keep fearing is really to not believe in the gospel, to not trust that God's love has been displayed in full, poured out on you, and that God dwells in you. It is to reject all that truth if you still fear punishment and judgment. It really is a wonderful message to remember remember and to be reminded of, isn't it? Because uh, we're going to get to the final implication, which is really all about us. Before we get there, it is so, so important that we bask in God's assurance, to be comforted that love first comes from God, that love has already been perfected in us by God. The The entire Christian life is like that. Right? And, and necessarily churches is what we want to do. We want to ground all of our efforts as Christians to live out our faith in the prior, initiating, more powerful, sovereign work of God. Right? And this is how God John does it too. God's nature, God's actions, God's grace, God's initiative, God's enabling is the foundation, the starting point for everything. And it's the thing that drives and energizes and gives us hope to be able to respond to the final implication of this passage which is our responsibility to love one another. And John doesn't pull his punches when it comes to these instructions, these commands for all believers. Starting from the top, right, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. Verse 11, we also ought to love one another. And then finally, to sum it all up in verse 19 to 21, just to ram it home one last time in this passage, let me read out these four, three verses. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, the whole point and purpose of this passage is really very clear, isn't it? It is to command us who claim to be Christians, to love. You can't miss that as the main point, right? To command us who claim to be Christians, to be children of God, to love. John has already given us some reasons, like I said, in in chapter two and three, but in this passage, he pulls out the big guns. We love because God is love, because God loves, and because this God lives in us. And so, if we're truly born of God, Children of God and know God, if we love God, then we will love one another. Now, for some of us, this might be something new. Maybe you've only just started coming to church recently, or or maybe your Christian expression has been more about doing works of service or about learning truths. And maybe this is quite new for you to see how crucial and, I would say, all-encompassing love is for the Christian and I'm so glad that you've come today to hear this message and maybe in the past and maybe even right now you've struggled to see what's the big deal about love. You kind of know it's important but you don't quite see why it's such a big deal. Maybe that's how you've come today. Maybe you haven't been convinced that relationships within the church are of utmost importance. Maybe you've been disappointed by the church. Maybe you've been hurt and jaded by people who have disappointed you, who have been hurtful to you in some way, who have been disloyal to you in the church, who haven't displayed this kind of love. Or maybe you see church as something you just come to when you can, right? a service, a performance to attend, where you come to experience your own spiritual connection to God you know, through the singing and through the prayers. You come for personal growth in understanding the Word. And then, as soon as the last song kind of begins, or as soon as it ends, you, you leave, right? Like you don't see church as extending beyond that final prayer that finishes the service. No you know, relationships really forming bonds of love with others, maybe it's really not your thing. Maybe you're an introvert. Maybe you're really shy. Maybe you've had bad experiences with people in the past, whatever it is. I hope that God's word today really changes your mind and your attitude. A devotion to loving one another isn't an optional extra of our own spiritual walk. And dare I say, it's not even an optional extra for being human. For God created us to be lovers. He's recreated us in His image as the lover so that we love. And that begins in the church. It's not an optional extra. Do hang around and do make the effort to get to know and love each other. Now, for many of us, though, I think we already know this. I think we already know this, right? I would suggest that maybe 80 90% of you, if I had told you, if I asked you what's so important about love, you would be able to tell me, maybe not in these exact words, but a pretty significant portion of reasons that we've covered today, you would know. And yet we struggle to love. So what's going on with that, Right? Many of us know these things, but we still struggle to love deeply and truly, to, to give of ourselves sacrificially the way that God does, to, to really be able to show grace and acceptance, to really be able to forgive and not find fault and not be critical. We struggle. Why is that? I, I think we know stuff often on a fairly superficial level. We know stuff in our heads, but it's quite superficial truths that haven't really sunk in. Or perhaps we have a limited understanding and experience of these foundational reasons. We know the statement, God is love. We know the statement that God displays profound love. We know what it means for the Holy Spirit of God, who is love, to live in us. But we don't really know. We don't really experience. We haven't really been captured by what those things really mean. You see, if our love flows out from all these truths in knowing that God is love, then how much do you truly know and understand and have been transformed by such a profound theological truth? How much time do we actually stop to reflect on what does it mean for God to be eternally in relationship? And what does perfect love even look like among God so that we can understand what love is like? And if our love flows out from God's demonstration of love through His Son, then how much have we truly been impacted by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Now, we all know that Jesus, because of love, came into this world to live and die and rose again, but how much are we actually impacted by that? When we, when we share in the Holy Communion together, we're just going through the motions, because that's basically what the communion is about, isn't it? The love of God through His Son, Jesus. And how much does that really impact us? If our love flows out from God's Spirit abiding in us, then how much do we actually let God's Spirit work in us? Or how much do we actually grieve and block the Spirit's work in our lives and not let the Spirit do His thing? Which you have to study. How does He do His thing? Is it by going to some worship service or or, or to go to some seaside or some mountaintop? What does the Bible say about how we allow the Spirit to work in and through us? I'll give you a hint. It's the Bible. Okay, The sword of the Spirit. That's how we allow the Spirit to work in us. You see, our love for one another cannot increase merely by trying harder. Although we certainly do want to put in every effort, that's not really the foundational way that we grow in love for one another. We try harder, but we understand that at the end of the day, it's about being fully invested and captured by the reasons that God gives us to love. I think we must begin, actually, by asking God for help, by praying the kind of prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. It's an amazing prayer that really seems to fit right, how we apply this passage by asking God for help. Let me just read out the prayer before I actually pray it. Okay, the Apostle Paul prays this for Christians. Okay? For this reason, it's kind of small, isn't it? That's all right. okay. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, that's God's indwelling, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Are we sure that God can do this? Can he fill us so much with understanding and experience of his love for us that it will flow out from our lives? Verse 20, the so doxology wraps this up. Now to him, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God can do that work in us to help us to be the kind of lovers that He saved us to be. And from there, from that grounding, from that foundation, we then strive to love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now wanting to bow the knees of our hearts before you, recognizing that you are the God who is love, that you are the God who who has enabled the experience of every experience of love that we can ever have in this world. From the love that we see within family members, between friends. The love that we, we experience in so many ways. It all comes from you. But the greatest way that we've seen love is within yourself. That in eternity, Father, Son, Spirit, you have been in an eternal loving relationship. That you are love. You created for us to love you show us what love is like not the kind of puny pathetic love that we have for you or for each other but the great and amazing love that you have shown to us through your son that you out of your love sacrificed your son that your son out of his great love was the propitiation for our sins taking on himself the punishment for our sins taking on himself your wrath poured out in full so that we may live We pray that these simply will not just be truths that dance around the surface of our brains or in our hearts, but that Christ may dwell in our hearts all the way in through faith. They will indeed be rooted and grounded in love, that you may grow the strength for us to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you would fill us by your Spirit with all of your fullness, the fullness of you who is love. We do this with confidence that you can do more than we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. We know that you'll do this for your glory, in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. We know you'll do this so that we can grow in a greater experience and expression of love. And this we pray in Jesus' mighty name.